This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number 43. I think I figured out how business works. And I was realizing, okay, so it's about learning how to sell, having something that provides more value than the cost of production, and then going to where the audience is that wants this and using words to sell this product. Welcome to a real-world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. How's it going, everybody out there? I am Jay Scott. I'm your co-host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, and I am here with my co-host, my lovely wife, Carol Scott. How's it going, Carol? Doing really well. Thank you. And today I just want to say I am incredibly grateful for each of you, our amazing listeners. Thank you so much again for continuing to tune in, for continuing to subscribe and tell your friends and associates about this show. We really appreciate you. Absolutely. Okay. Our show today is fantastic. We've got a guy named Yaro Stark. He is he's a serial entrepreneur. He is a guy who has built multiple lifestyle businesses, basically businesses that have allowed him to travel the world, that have allowed him to do what he wants, when he wants, to live his life on his own terms. And in this episode, he tells us about how he does it, his strategies for figuring out which businesses to build, how to build those businesses, how to grow those businesses, and then how to live off that income that he's generating. This is a great episode. And for anybody out there that's excited about being able to build a lifestyle business and essentially be able to control your own life, this episode's for you. If you want more information about the stuff we talk about in this episode, you can check out our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash bizshow43. Again, our show notes, biggerpockets.com slash bizshow43. Now, without any further ado, let's bring on Yaro Stark to the show. How are you doing today, Yaro? 
I'm great. Thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to it. Us too. Thank you so much for being here today. Yaro, seriously, you have truly accomplished what a lot of new entrepreneurs are looking for. New entrepreneurs, seasoned entrepreneurs, all of the above, which is the ability to create multiple ventures and multiple income streams. And this has allowed you to travel and work from anywhere in the whole entire world, right? And you, that all just didn't happen overnight. They, that came with a lot of planning, a lot of hard work, a lot of experience. And we really want to dig in because I know our listeners want to be in the same position you're in and they really want to learn from you. So are you cool if we explore that path? I I would, let's talk for three hours. Let's do it. (laughs) Great. I love it. I love it. So let's set the stage for everyone just a little bit. So how and when did you determine that entrepreneurship and specifically creating lifestyle businesses was really the right path for you? Uh, yeah, I was lucky. I, I was 18 in 1998. And we all know like the dot-com boom was really in, in its heyday then. So, you know, an 18-year-old, I just entered university. Um, I didn't have the internet really until I entered university in Brisbane, Australia, where I grew up. And it's the combination of access to the internet Everyone's doing businesses around you, at least in the news. You're hearing about eBay and Amazon and everything else that was, you know, no longer successful companies, the pets.coms and so on. So I certainly uh, was in love with the Internet and I wasn't necessarily thinking I'm going to be an online entrepreneur. I was actually just trying to avoid a full time job. So for me, that was the main goal. I wasn't sure what vehicle it would be. I I mean, I wasn't going to suddenly win the lotto or inherit money. So I knew there'd be something I'd have to do. I just didn't want a boss. I didn't want to have to get up to to an alarm clock. So from there, it was like, you know, I thought about maybe I'll have a restaurant, maybe I'll have an internet cafe, you know, physical businesses. But thankfully, you know, I really thank God that the timing was right, that I was able to really dive into the internet when it was just becoming a place for business, a place for commerce and have all that kind of influence. Not that I figured out what to do straight away, but, you know, I really like I, I did not study my degree. My Like I was pushing aside the textbooks to spend time in news groups online, you know, rather than uh, try and get top marks. I was just I got to get through with a basic pass so I can spend time playing on the Internet and eventually, you know, building a website. But really the goal and why I think I've kind of been more a lifestyle entrepreneur is not having a job, but also I saw other entrepreneurs who were working harder than people who had a job, you know, 12 hour days, no holidays, working on weekends. They are, you know, the buck stops with them. So I felt like there's got to be a happy medium here. Uh, and of course, you know, I was reading books about passive income, that e-myth, obviously there's rich dad, poor dad. So it's all about finding ways to make enough money to do what you want in life, to travel, uh, to support yourself, but then not be tied to anything for 12 hours a day. That, that was my first goal anyway. It took a while to figure it out, but that's where we started. So it's interesting because we use the term like entrepreneurship or entrepreneur. We talk about being a business owner. And I think we always assume that there's a definition of that. But what a lot of us don't realize until we get into it and really start digging in is there's actually multiple definitions. And I mean, Warren Buffett, is an entrepreneur. Elon Musk is an entrepreneur. Bill Gates is an entrepreneur. But a lot of times when we talk about entrepreneurship, we're not talking about wanting to build a 
billion dollar company where we're working 80 or 100 hours a week for the next 30 years. And we, we often use the term lifestyle business to describe that other type of entrepreneur. And, and you, you touched on some interesting concepts there. You touched on passive income. You touched on being able to have freedom. Uh, that's a, a big takeaway there. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that other form of entrepreneurship that a lot of us look towards is all about. What is, what is that lifestyle business? What is passive income? What is freedom? Like what, what's the alternative to, to doing what Bill Gates does? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I define it as, you know, your, your startup real world company versus your lifestyle business. And back then there wasn't a definition like that though. Honestly, there was just entrepreneur and then there's this thing called passive income, which doesn't have to be from business. We all know, I think real estate investing was probably the most common form of passive income I heard about when I was first learning about it. You know, get some properties, earn some rental income, and that's passive, apparently. But, you know, I didn't have any capital. I, didn't, I wasn't really interested in getting into property at that time. So for me, it was like, how do I find a, a business model that can generate income where the labor especially for me personally, was at an acceptable level. Now, I wasn't afraid of, of you know, the hustle, as they call it today, and working hard to build something up. But I, I, I didn't want that to be a permanent situation. Like if I stop doing that hustle, does the income dry up pretty quickly? So, you know, and, and I was young. I didn't know, like you know, hindsight now, 20 years ago, I didn't really understand the difference, like the business models you can choose. For me, it was just, okay, can I not have to go to an office? That's step one for obviously for freedom. Can you run your business from a laptop? Uh, two, is there enough money to pay your bills, feed yourself, and then hopefully some more, pay for the flights, the accommodation. You know, back then there was no Airbnb, so it was hotels or backpackers or whatever. And then, you know, it's what are you actually doing too? Like, are you uh, e-commerce? Are you selling something physical? Are you, are you uh, doing software? And, and for me, like, I wasn't a programmer. I wasn't really, like, I wasn't in anything. If I really think back to that time, I didn't have the, the sense that I would write blogs or uh, start uh, a software business or an e-commerce business because none of that was kind of in my wheelhouse. It was just like, all right, I like magazines. So my actual first ever website was a Magic the Gathering collectible card game online magazine. And that was just the game I played when I was in, in high school and uh, in early university. So it made sense. That was my first website. Never got rich from it, but it was the first income stream I made. And that kind of gave me this window. Okay, I understand this kind of website. It's about content. It's about growing an audience. I can make money from sponsorships, advertising. I can make money from selling my own cards. You know, that was a little bit of e-commerce, but very, very basic. And that was like the door opening. But then you learn, okay, so the margins on cards and the audience size of this very small collectible card game is never going to earn me the kind of money I need. So that opened my eyes to the point that I need a business model that could potentially make more money. And then everything kind of builds on it. Like, Obviously, the next 10 years, I had two or three different businesses, but they all grow on the previous learnings from the past business to sort of fill the gaps about what I was looking for. And at the, at the start, it was all about passive income, but then it became, you know, more things like I want to do something I enjoy. Uh, I want to work with people I like. So the other considerations became important. Yeah. And one of the things that that strikes me as we're having this discussion is, again, instead of building a business that supports you forever, you built multiple businesses. And so it wasn't just passive income, but it was multiple streams of income. And it, it seems to me that like 
there are a lot of advantages there. One, if something stops working, I mean, you go into one area, you, you mentioned magazine, and you're probably not, I don't know if you're doing a physical magazine back then, but you're certainly not doing a physical magazine right now. Uh, things come and go. And so it, it's very possible that certain streams of income can dry up just as the, the winds change. But you had multiple streams. You had different businesses. You didn't put all your eggs in any basket. Uh, was that a conscious choice that you made? Or did you just kind of fall into different things at different times? You know, the, the, the idea of a conscious choice, I think, is an evolution. Like, it's the evolution of your consciousness as an entrepreneur, I think, is the, the best way to put it. Because I'll be honest, for the first seven years, I was a basket case. You know, I wasn't making the kind of money I wanted. I wasn't sure what would work. Um, I had what people uh, commonly call shiny object syndrome because, everything was becoming more accessible. You know, I was doing this Magic the Gathering card site, but then this other person's doing e-commerce and making so much more money. And then this other person starts a website on a different topic and makes so much more money. So I would like go, oh, I could start one of those. And I'd switch ideas, you know, in 24 hours. But then I'd realize that's another business and I'd have to sink another six months to get it started. So I should, you know, I go back to where I see a little bit of money coming in. But from an emotional standpoint, absolute wreck. You know, I, I didn't feel very secure. I, I uh, and I didn't do what everyone else around me did, which is go get a job after graduating from university. So you know, it was pretty daunting uh, in that regard, bucking the trend. But the the conscious choice does evolve. So okay, card game business. I learned not a big enough niche, not a big enough profit margin. I discover selling services online. So I start an essay editing company. There's a long story behind that, but the short version is I realized that international students needed uh, help with their essays and I could basically have a middleman kind of company connecting freelance editors, usually university professors. And that was a, a bigger margin product. So I could charge $300 for editing an essay and pay 150 to a contractor and keep 150 myself. I'm not delivering the service. I'm just the middleman. I, I actually wanted to be like the eBay of selling services at one point, but that's what worked selling essay editing. And that was allowed uh, a vehicle to get to full-time income, not rich, but it was allowed me to actually live, pay my bills. And also I was getting, you know, no longer interested in this card game. I was uh, exiting as a player, exiting as a collector. It didn't make sense to own that business. I was looking for something new. So I actually, that was the first thing I ever sold was that card game website. And then, you know, if you fast forward, the thing with the essay editing business, did not enjoy the process, didn't have the motivation to grow it to the next level. So it's like, oh, wow, you know, a business is only as good as you care about growing it. And yeah, sure, I had multiple income streams, but... Both of them were not going to go anywhere if I didn't care to put energy into it. And that's when, I mean, to be clear, though, like I was always looking for what today we'd call a four hour work week. Um, before Tim Ferriss wrote his book, I was looking for that, you know, and it really, you know, you could call it the E-Myth. You could call it anything passive income. It was just that high leverage business. And the essay editing company was the first taste of that because I was completely virtual. I had no physical product. I eventually outsourced the management of email in that business because that was the last thing that I was trapped to doing. So once I had an email manager in place there, which kind of funny because I, I all the way today, I run a company managing people's emails. So it connects all the way back to the early days. But that was the first taste of breaking free and being able to travel and having an income stream. But then like I, I wish everyone could get to this point, but 
if you're lucky enough to be an entrepreneur who creates a business where your bills are covered and you have your entire day to do whatever you want with it, roughly speaking, like I maybe had to spend half an hour on my business, suddenly you have this question, what do I do with my life now? You know, I've actually gotten that money issue. I'm not rich, but at least I don't have to work. And then it's like, okay, I, well, I can't just watch TV all day or, you know, hang around. Everyone else has got a job. They're all doing stuff. So that's when you realize, oh, you better enjoy some part of what you're doing as well. If, it, if it's your business you want to enjoy, then you better be running a business you like. So the consciousness evolved into, I need time freedom. I need income freedom, but I need the pursuit of something that I'm passionate about, even if it's just a, a role within one of these companies or, you know, managing multiple companies, but it's got to be something I'm jazzed about getting up and doing every day. And that was an evolution. First, I need money. Then I want to get money, but I want time freedom. And then I got to do something I enjoy. And I think that's, it's almost like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, it kind of lines up a lot with that. Definitely, definitely. I really love um, how you break, you almost break apart these three different types of freedom, right? The, the money freedom, the time freedom, the mental freedom, and how you talk about this whole process was really an evolution, especially during those first seven years, right? So a lot of us haven't had all those experiences of building all those different companies, going through all those trials and tribulations, seeing what worked, seeing what didn't work. Can you share with us what are some of those things that you actively started doing that you would recommend any entrepreneur does to begin achieving those different types of freedom, to, to get them out of working all the time as an entrepreneur and really start taking some active steps to be able to achieve the type of freedom that you have? Mm. I, mean, I think it depends on what you personally bring to the table. Like, I think if I had my time over again, talking to my 18, 19, 20 year old self, or even my 40 year old self now, who was maybe deciding to get into entrepreneurship for the first time, I'd actually look at freelancing uh, as a much better starting point, simply because I could step into someone else's business, provide a service within their company, learn what they do and how they do it. And for me, a lot of the problems were gaps in knowledge and awareness of how things worked, which I pretty much solved myself. But that's a really slow way of doing it. That's why it took seven years to really you know, figure a lot of things out. You don't have to do it that slowly. You can go find people now. That's the beautiful thing. Not just, sure, you can watch some YouTube videos. You can read some books. Uh, you, know, you can ask questions in a Reddit forum or whatever you like. But the real learning is seeing it in action. And if you can be inside someone else's company who's doing something you want to do. If the, you want to do e-commerce, maybe work for someone in e-commerce. If you want to sell SaaS, do something with SaaS or software as a service for those who don't know. And that gives you a window into the uh, an effective system and how it works. So how are they getting traffic? Who is building the website? Who's writing the copy? Who's providing you know, product delivery. Um, what are the different elements in place to make this actually work? Because back then I was like, I remember when I started, I thought you come up with a product idea, you manufacture it, then you put an ad on TV and people come and buy it. And then you're, you're set, right? That's all you have to do. Good product, you win, right? And maybe there's a, an ounce of truth to that, but there's so many more layers to it than that. And I had to go through, okay, selling cards to selling a service to then blogging and selling information products and, you know, to really open my eyes. And then, of course, getting exposure to so many other entrepreneurs, because thankfully now and, and 
for me, this didn't really happen until the mid 2000s. There were events you could go to and speak to other people and go, oh, this guy's making a lot of money doing this thing called pay-per-click arbitrage. And I was like, oh, so you, you join affiliate programs and you promote them on Google AdWords and you pay a dollar for an ad, but you make a dollar 50 on the affiliate commission and that's arbitraging. And they make thousands of dollars a day doing this. And I was like, I could do that, but I don't know if I'd be motivated to become a pay-per-click marketer. At least I understand conceptually what that is. So a lot of it's like learning what you know you don't know yet. And then you fill in the gaps, and then you decide, okay, I think I understand how this works. And there was a moment for me, I remember it, it dawned on me, I was reading so many business books like The One Minute Millionaire and everything sounded great. But then I kind of realized I had a friend who was not an entrepreneur, but I said to him, I think I figured out how business works. And I was realizing, okay, so it's about learning how to sell, having something that provides more value than the cost of production, and then going to where the audience is that wants this and using words to sell this product. And then you just do that well. There's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of tools you got to learn. But conceptually, that's all there is to it. And, and for me, that eventually became start a blog, grow an email list, and sell an online course. That that was my real big breakthrough business that sold over a million dollars worth of product, really started to have that lifestyle freedom because of that. And that was kind of linked to that breakthrough of getting the awareness of how the system worked first. And that's a big breakthrough. And that can take some experience, a bit of exposure to what people do already. So before we move on to the next part of our show, let's hear from one of our show sponsors. All right, guys. Real estate investing is known for a lot of things, mainly making a very select group of people a whole lot of money. But being an online cutting edge experience is usually not one of those hallmarks. Well, thanks to Fundrise, that's no longer the case. Fundrise is the future of real estate investing. Their revolutionary model is transforming the industry thanks to their software, which cuts out the costly middlemen and removes old market inefficiencies. Fundrise delivers the kind of investing power you typically only see at the big institutions and can now bring real estate's unique potential for long-term growth and cash flow to individual investors like us. Getting started is simple and usually takes less than five minutes. When you invest with Fundrise, you'll be instantly diversified across dozens of real estate projects, each one carefully vetted and actively managed by Fundrise's team of real estate professionals. Then you can use their intuitive investor dashboard and real-time reporting system to monitor the progress of each property in your portfolio. Now that's the future of real estate investing. So are you ready to get started? Then visit Fundrise.com slash BP business. That's F-U-N-D. R-I-S-E dot com slash BP business. And you'll get the first three months of fees waived. Again, that's fundrise.com slash BP business. How would you feel if you could save an extra $1,500 this year without lifting a finger? Saving money doesn't come naturally to most people. In fact, for a lot of my life, I was absolutely terrible at it. Luckily, there's a tool designed to help all of us out. It's an app called Empower, and it's transforming spenders into savers. Empower, that's E-M-P-O-W-E-R, is an awesome mobile app that allows you to automate your saving and improve your money management. You simply tell the app your weekly savings target. Each day, Empower studies your income and spending and automatically knows when to move the right amount of money right into your savings account, where you're less likely to burn through it. Plus, you get access to Empower's human coaches who can give you personalized recommendations as well. No more Googling all of your finance questions. 
If you want to save an extra $1,500 or more this year, you've got to check out the Empower app. Download Empower, that's E-M-P-O-W-E-R, in the App Store or the Google Play Store. I downloaded it, and more than 650,000 other people have as well. For listeners of this show, get $5 when you use offer code BPB, like Bigger Pockets Business, and reach your savings goal. Visit empower.me slash BPB for more details. That's empower.me slash BPB. I want to come back and I want to talk about the blogging business because I know you've made a large part of your career and success all about blogging. But I do want to first follow up on on something that you said. One, I, I love your basically boiling down to what business is. I often say really business is about two things, building a great product and being able to sell it. And like you said, there's a whole lot of moving parts around it. But at the end of the day, if you do those two things, that's what builds a business. You seem to have fallen into several businesses that, and you mentioned you only do things that you get some enjoyment out of because obviously you have a lot of time and you have to. Were most of your businesses, and I don't want to go back to that question about conscious choice again because I I, I know where that's going to go, um, but were most of your businesses, did you think for long periods of time, what do I want to be doing? Uh, Or did you do due diligence and say, what businesses are good businesses? Or did you just kind of fall into certain businesses and, and try different things and see what worked? I mean, how deliberate were you in choosing what businesses that you ended up falling into? I think I need that box that says all of the above uh, for everything you just said. And I'll take that one. Cause at some point in time, I did everything there. I, I, I stumbled into some things, you know, essay editing company kind of started because I saw an article about a guy doing essay editing in in Harvard University. It was in the Yahoo print magazine of all things back in the early 2000s. Card game business. I was a card game player. So for me, it was just I know this topic. I want to explore it. But then it became more intentional. I'm like, okay. I've discovered I like writing, so I want to really leverage that. And it became, all right, let's let's create blog posts. Let's do courses. I love the business model. So it became really intentional too, because profit margin on a sale of a thousand dollar digital course is kind of like nine hundred and fifty dollars once you take out, you know, the transaction fees. And and that's you don't get that from any physical product or retail, you know, restaurants, all these things. Very unique. Maybe insurance is the only product where it's like almost 100% profit margin besides uh, salaries and so on. So it became more intentional over time. And I wish I could tell the listener, you know, try and be as intentional as you can from day one. That's ideal. But you always build on what you've done in your life prior. So there's always more of an element that first business you do it's only as strong as the inputs around you. And if you've never been an entrepreneur, it's probably going to be the industry you worked in, the people you've been exposed to, the books you've read, the YouTube channels you've watched, you know, you're influenced by that. So, and that's a starting point, but until you start the business, you don't really have that, oh, maybe I shouldn't be trying to sell this type of product because I didn't realize the profit margin is never going to be big enough to work with today's environment in terms of advertising or something like that. Nowadays, way more intentional because it's a case of low-hanging fruit. You know, what am I good at? What do I have access to in resources? Where do I see an opportunity in the marketplace that could be very profitable and, you know, build something around that? But at the same time, like probably yourselves and every guest you've had on the show, if you're an entrepreneur, you kind of get excited about every idea you come up with. And even if there's like, it's not intentional, it's just like, you know, you're walking down the street and you need, you see a problem. I always remember that, that, 
in Steve Jobs' biography, when he was in hospital getting, you know, treatments uh, towards the end of his life, he was complaining about like the, I think it was the oxygen technology for reading how much oxygen is in your blood. He said, this is ridiculous. Like this interface is not efficient. And there was like a screen with the buttons on it. And he was like redesigning the medical equipment in the hospital while he was getting treated. And like, you know, he's a, he's a, a hardware guy and he's all about interfaces. So that made sense. Right. But he's not in the medical space, but he couldn't help himself. And I think that's something that entrepreneurs always have. We just look for opportunities or inefficiencies in the world. And, and that's what we want to do. But that doesn't necessarily mean there's a business you should go after there. But, uh, you know, you got to make the right choice for where you are in, in the moment in your life. Absolutely. And you are so right. As entrepreneurs, we are always looking for those opportunities. We always do get excited about the next great idea. And I would really like to talk more about the intentionality of those decisions, like specifically in the realm of the blogging and the online courses, since really was able to begin providing you with this freedom lifestyle that you had been seeking for such a long time. So that said, what are some of the tips you might be able to provide for our listeners who do see there is a need I am able to meet? How would they go about doing that from the beginning? Like, what are the steps to get going? Mm. Yeah, that, that's what I spent, I guess, my last more of the majority of my entrepreneur career is teaching knowledge experts how to turn knowledge into digital products and sell online. And, you know, it's usually people who come from a background of coaching or consulting, or maybe they just got good at something in their life. And now they want to translate that into uh, a digital business. Um, thankfully, today, it's, well, it's pros and cons. It's very crowded, but the, the, the process is laid out in front of you. You have to decide what problem you're going to help people solve. And usually it's like one of those Maslow hierarchy things. You're going to uh, solve a bad back or help people lose weight or make money through some sort of system or uh, maybe relationships and dating, you know, there's those core human needs. So I'm always with my coaching in the past, I've said, you know, go where the pain is strong enough that they're motivated to look for an answer and spend money to solve the problem. And for some people, for most people, that's a refinement process. Me too. When I started, it was like, I started blogging and then I was riding the wave of the first bloggers in 2004, 5, 6, 7. But by 2007, I've got an audience and I, I've done a lot of the last two years of blogging. I'm like, I could teach something with blogging, but I'm like, what am I positioning myself as? And I said, okay, well, what's the most important pain point? I think it's traffic. So I started with traffic as my first uh, area and then it kind of got refined over time. So you need to do that. Like whatever space you're in, you want to try and find that pain point that you're going to go after first. And then the system is actually the easy part. It, often the harder part is getting clarity on what you want to be to people. But once you've done that, the system is, okay, I'm going to give away free information to build trust, get exposure for my ideas and help people. And then once they've gotten help from me, they start to trust me. They see me as the person who knows how to solve this problem. They're going to be the ones inclined to buy from you as well. So they then become customers, maybe buying a, a course. Usually for people who are new to it, they actually start with selling coaching because it's easier to just sell your time first, you know, one-on-one -on -one phone calls to help people solve a problem. That gives you some initial cash flow, initial research about your audience, but you're ultimately trying to get to a digital product that you sell without you having to be the person delivering the value. And then you, you refine. So today, a common formula for that is you're blogging, 
So you're writing blog posts, maybe doing videos, sharing them, podcasting like we're doing now, getting attention, people discover you, then you're getting them onto a, a, an email list with a clear focus. So it's a, you know, I'm going to show you how to get your first 1000 listeners on your podcast uh, email list. And then they go through that free training, trust you, they benefit from you, they maybe apply some of your advice. And then the next time you're opening up your course, they're ready, pre-qualified and interested and trust you. And then, you know, you send people to a sales page with all that wonderful sales copy and videos and graphics and testimonials and, you know, everything to prove that you are legitimate. And then they, they buy your course. And then it's simply a case of looking at that as a funnel, as they call it, a sales funnel and looking where in that funnel you might need to improve things. So am I not getting enough traffic at the start? Or are not enough people joining the email list as a, a first step to engage with me or a second step really, then are not enough people going from the email list to the sales page to buy the product. Could be a webinar. A lot of people do webinars today as their main tool for selling. And then when they reach the sales page, uh, a thousand people read my sales page, 10 buy, you know, so I've, I've got a 1% conversion rate. And that could be good enough because if you can get 10,000 to hit that sales page, you've got a hundred customers paying a thousand dollars for a course. You just made a hundred thousand dollars. So that's pretty much what as an overview I've taught and helped people implement in all kinds of spaces, speed reading, curing acne, uh, women in business, uh, skiing. There's just so many different topics over the years that it's, it's been an effective business model. And you can see it. You don't like you don't have to ask me. You can just go online and everyone's trying to help everyone with courses nowadays. So it's like a popular thing to do. This is great, though. And I love how you're talking about this same system and process can be applied across industries. That said, there are a lot of moving components within each of those. I mean, I'm just thinking about just if just take one tiny little itty bitty component of all those things, podcasting, right? Like we're doing right now. And we know how much of an effort even that one component takes. So how are you doing all that in living this lifestyle? Is it, are you magically doing everything an hour a day or have you hired a ton of people along the way? Or how are you logistically making all those pieces of the puzzle happen? Yes, yeah, a good one. That, that, you know, it, it looks easy on the surface, but you know, you were running really hard up a mountain at the start. So my story, and this is pretty accurate for most people, there's this first phase, which could be a year, could be a, two years, you don't know how long it is, but you're, you're just getting what's in your head into content and getting an audience up and running. Now, I did that with a blog, and I wrote articles on I told stories. So my first blog posts were like, this is me running my Magic of the Gathering website. This is how I sold cards. This is how I got traffic. Then I wrote about the essay editing company. This is how I found contractors and how I decided my pricing model. And that caught on. People just were really interested in what I was doing with online businesses. And then with that audience, after a couple of years, I was like, okay, I'm going to sell my first product. And it worked. But then I was trying to do what we, I guess, started talking about with this podcast was how do I get as much return from this without my labor turning into 12 hour days? Because I wanted to basically live what I call it a two hour work day. I actually registered that domain name before the four hour work week and Tim just got in there and, and did it first. So I was like, darn. But the the key to making it work with this business model, and it's you know not for every business model, but for a, a knowledge expert, is using as much technical automation as you can. So to give people a real world example, as I am talking to you right now, people are going to Google searching 
keywords, very specific ones, and my blog showing up. And I'm, you know, I'm getting a bit of organic free traffic from Google. A small percentage of those people are then joining the various email lists I have. And those are email sequences of information that I wrote years ago. Like I create it once and then it keeps providing value over time. Same with the blog post. You write them once, keep providing value over time. So that happens automatically. It's even, like I said, I'm talking to you right now, that's happening. No humans are involved. It's all technology. Well, except for the person studying the materials, of course. And then um, those email lists are taking people through a sales process too. So they're offering, whether it's an ebook or my course or my membership site, and those things sell well, without me being part of that. Now that took a while. It's, it's writing sales pages, it's creating webinars, or I have one main webinar. Um, it might be writing a free report, it might be doing a video sequence. Nowadays, you know, you focus on one to start with. Don't do everything, just have one, one machine that works, try and get it working as best you can. And that's how most of my money was made. There's a little bit of like launches too. You know, you, you get a partner involved who might promote your product, so that gives you a new audience. But a lot of it comes almost like as a compound effect because you you start succeeding and then because of that, you become known for something. Then you start getting invited to do partnerships, to appear on podcasts, you know, in your industry, of course, maybe a collaboration on a YouTube channel. This means you're getting more audience back. Um, you're getting better rankings in Google, some more organic free traffic. So it all starts to be this flywheel uh, for those of, you know, read good to grade and, and it compounds. But you have to build the selling machine so that whenever you're getting exposure, people are going through all this content and buying your courses. And I remember the first time I experienced this from like a fully automated, I didn't touch it experience. Uh, it was, to be honest, my first one ever was an affiliate promotion. It wasn't even my own product, but I was out with my friends playing basically pitch and putt golf. It's like a small version of golf, not mini golf, but in between. And I got a ding on my Blackberry. This is how long ago it was. Uh, I'd made like an affiliate sale from a blog post I had written a week ago. And I was like, oh my God, I'm on a golf course. And I just made, it was like $700. And I'm like, this is like a cliche TV ad. You know, do you want to make money while you're playing golf? I was like, I just make money while I'm playing golf. <laughs> you know, so it proved that it worked. And that's only because of the internet. Only do we have that opportunity today because of the way the internet works. So I love it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, if the story stopped there, I mean, okay, it, it's great. You, you found a niche, you became very good at blogging. You created online courses, intellectual property. Basically you created something that you could market and sell over and over and over. And you'll probably be making money from that for the next 10, 20, 30 years, but you didn't stop there. Like you started other companies and you started at least one other company that I know about that wasn't an intellectual property company. You started a company that, and you mentioned it earlier in the show, um, that was all about helping people keep their, their mailboxes, their inboxes, their email boxes clean. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you kind of made that transition from, okay, I'm going to create this intellectual property. I'm going to create a course. I'm going to market it through blogs and podcasting to, I'm actually going to create a company that's providing a service, which is a completely different business model. And, and you're also managing that. You know, it, it harkens back to what we've spoken about already with this podcast, where I was an entrepreneur looking for opportunities or problems to fix. Uh, I, I connected with a person who I thought would be a good business partner. Uh, I'm a big fan of partnerships where I bring maybe an audience and they bring a, a talent and they can combine to launch a new company. I've done that a few times now. Uh, and in this case, 
it really cemented because of a networking event I went to in Vancouver. Six people, all entrepreneurs at a dinner table talking about problems in their business. And the, the woman to my left said, I wake up and I've got to spend a couple of hours doing my email. And then when I go home at night, I do another couple of hours doing my email. I just, I never get on top of it. And I said to her, well, I only do my email once a month. And she's like, looks at me, how is that even possible? What do you mean you do email once a month? No one does that. Everyone does their email every day, as she thought. And I said, well, no, because there's another human being going in there every day and doing the 90 to 95% of the messages that only, uh, you know, that I don't need to do. And the 5% that, you know, maybe are just for me get put in a folder and I do them once a month. It sounds simple when I explain it that way, but most people don't seem to want to set up that kind of process. So I went to Claire, who was my existing email support person in my blogging business and said, do you want to test this idea? And I think this is really important because when you start and something succeeds in a business, you then have the potential to, you know, do new product, certainly, but you can launch and spin off new businesses because of the audience you now can reach, because of the knowledge you have about that audience, their problems. So I knew my audience was full of, you know, entrepreneurs, professionals, busy people who have too much email and they're used to outsourcing their technology issues. I'm sure you guys are not the ones doing the editing of this podcast all by yourself. You're not the ones writing the transcript all by yourself. Yet for some reason, we uh, most people do their email all by themselves still. So Claire and I said, you want to test this? You know, let's, it's not like we're launching a big business. All we did was let's go to my email list and say, hey, the person who does my email is going to be available to take on a couple of clients to do your email. We did that. Two people turned out to be good test clients. Claire took over their inboxes. We find out how much we can charge, what people are willing to pay. Um, meanwhile, I'm still running my blogging business. All I did was bring the customers to Claire to deliver the service. And then uh, six months later, we're like, this seems to be working. So you want to take it to the next level, build a website, do some more marketing, bring on our next couple of clients. Then we start the real business of business building, hiring more people to actually deliver the email management services and building a team around providing the service. But all of that was proof of concept. You know, does this work for multiple types of business owners? Can we use the same systems that are in my business for other people? Thankfully, having run the essay editing company, I knew you could do this kind of services arbitrage company where you've got like an agency, but you're not the one delivering the services. You're hiring contractors to provide the service. And that was the same thing with, with inboxdone.com. I should mention the name of the company we now run. So Claire and I are the co-founders of it. We've had over about 20 people go through uh, the business. Some are with us for like two years and haven't stopped. Some come for like a, a year and, and then they're you know moving on. And it's been uh, a really great example of how you can find opportunities within something that's already working. That being said, I won't do the whole story, but I did the same thing back in 2010 with an idea I had for a blog advertising social network that crashed and burned. <laughs> so, you know, I did the same process. We built some basic version of some software with a co-founder of mine, told my audience to go use it, but the business model was just not financially sustainable. We had to, we'd have to put in tons of money to make it work before we could make anything back. With uh, Inbox Done, we get a client, we 
make revenue straight away and we can you know deliver services straight away so it just worked in that case it doesn't always work but in this case um yeah inbox done is is up and running and it's actually the main company i'm kind of promoting at the moment because after 10 years of blog coaching i'm kind of still do it but it's it's uh kind of moving away from it more and more as i i do other things a bit of angel investing and property investing since we're talking on the bigger pockets podcast here and things like that so you're running a real business. So what are, you said you're looking, you're promoting that business and you're looking to scale that business. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you're doing that. So Claire is one person. I'm guessing Claire doesn't want to work 140 hours a week. So as you get more clients, how are you finding more Claire's and who is training the Claire's and who is managing the business and who's marketing the business? And, and so if you're still, I assume you're still focusing on your other businesses and your blogging and your courses. So how are you, how are you handling this without spending full time on this business? Well, I get, we didn't really mention, but I sold my card game business. I sold my essay editing company. I kept the coaching blog business because that was, as we explained, sort of automated. Uh, with Inbox Done, Claire, uh, she clones herself is the simplest way to answer the question. So, yes, she took on the first two clients, um, but then she she became more of the manager, operational hiring person, uh, hired our first person, and then our second. We've actually got a team of 10 now uh, people, including Claire, who manage various inboxes. And that's actually what she's become the best at, um, hiring and training people to do inbox management, where I've been the one kind of spreading the gospel. So I come on a podcast like this one and I say to the audience, are you drowning in email? Have you ever considered hiring someone to step in and, and do most of your email for you? Kind of like a receptionist for your email inbox, you know, uh, and have a good look inside your inbox and ask yourself, do I need to be the one who does every single message in here? I, I could even ask you guys, do you guys do your own email still or do you have help in that area? I'm totally doing my own email and I, I'm pretty sure Jay is as well. Right, honey? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm still doing We've We've actually talked about hiring somebody literally to come yep. in and spend half <laughs> their time doing our email for us. And so, yes, that's I, 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 you, you have a solution to a problem that we didn't know there was a solution out there for. Yeah. And that's, that's my problem right there. People don't really go looking for this. So I have had to kind of stand up on, show up on podcasts, uh, certainly, you know, work other methods, but podcasting actually has been one of the best methods to spread the word. So to answer the question of what I'm doing, I'm, I've been doing that for a couple of years, sort of going on podcasts, certainly writing some articles for our website, a bit of social media, um, getting our first testimonial videos up of our happy clients, all that business building stuff, you know, but Claire has been busy making sure our clients are really happy, making sure our staff are really happy and, uh, you know, building the nuts and bolts of delivering a, a valuable service. So really, I go out, get the word out. I do a sales call and then it gets passed on to the onboarding team run by, by Claire and Carly, our onboarding manager. And then you get your inbox manager. If it was you guys, we'd probably hand over one inbox manager for both your inboxes and then they'd go to work learning uh, what what Jay and Carol's email looks like and, and you know, uh, building a knowledge base and building some systems to deal with your email, um, getting you comfortable with the idea of someone else being the person replying to your messages. And then hopefully after, uh, you know, a handover period of about a month or two, you're happy and suddenly you've got, you know, whatever it is, that, that extra hour or two or three that you used to spend in the inbox. And that to me is why I love the business because, you know, you can spend that time exercising when maybe you didn't before or or with your family or building your next product or starting a new business or reading a book, you know, all these possibilities that 
get come to you when you get that off your plate. So, yeah, but it's a new business. I still call it a startup. And, and I think it's something that, you know, especially Claire, she still works in it as her, her main job and, and will be like that for a while. But it's it is fun. And it it's such a natural spinoff. You know, I, I've been teaching what we've been talking about how to break free. And then this business helps you break free from email. So it's, it's an easy sell to my existing audience. Yeah. I really love all these. There are all these interwoven concepts that keep coming back, like all this freedom, all of this evolution, all of these launching spinoffs of doing what you already know in maximizing that potential. So I'm curious to know, you've got Claire, you've got your teams, you've mentioned you're an angel investor, you're a property investor, you've put your money to work in different ways after you've sold businesses and all those things to create this lifestyle where you are truly free in your, with your time, you are truly free with your locations. I would love to know some really good, solid tips on, on how to really live that lifestyle. I mean, things like, I mean, full on tactical things like the basics, like Wi-Fi's and laptops, but just, just an overall, like managing your time so that you, you can still get things done when you need to things, like I said, like hardware and software concerns, just any like tips that may seem obvious to you now because you've been doing it for such a long time. But for those of us who are really new in this whole freedom type of space, things that we can tactically do to thrive in that type of environment. Okay. Well, the hardware and the technology, I mean, it's, it actually almost doesn't matter as long as it works. You know, you know, I've got my MacBook Pro laptop. I've got the RS Technica microphone for when we're talking and, and uh, that all sticks in my, my suitcase and I only have carry on luggage. And, you know, I'm in San Diego right now and I, I'm escaping the Montreal winter. So, you know, but I'm off to LA and then San Francisco and then Tokyo and then probably Hawaii and then back to Montreal when the snow is melted. And, you know, it's, it's all very portable, I think is the most important thing, but really why it works is a, you've got your team and yes, we communicate with Slack and I'm, you know, talking to them every day. So I'll go to a cafe and I'll open up Slack and Claire will tell me, you know, inbox done things. And then my current team from my blogging business will be like, Hey, the next podcast is ready. Or this person wants to do a joint venture to promote your course. So I'll work with them on that and work with my tech person, you know, to build a new landing page for that joint venture. But I think the most important lesson I can pass on for those who want that more sort of travel portable lifestyle business is you've got to get good. In, and this came about for me for, for a couple of reasons. So we all know, well, maybe not everyone knows, but the 80-20 rule. I think you two probably have heard of the 80-20 rule. It's become very well mainstream, partially because of Tim Ferriss and, and the 4-Hour Workweek topic. So I, I learned about that from reading Richard Koch's book, The 80-20 Way. So I was like, okay, so there's a few things I've got to do right each day to get that large result. And the most important thing is not getting distracted by the lower return activities. So, you know, don't go wasting time on social media if it doesn't actually bring in customers. You know, I have to find the parts of these businesses that work. So for me, that was like, I write a blog post or an email or create a product in the coaching business. That's the most important activity. So I should do that as well as maybe relationships, you know, to find partnerships with inbox done. We just have to get exposure on podcasts. So I want to talk on as many shows as possible. Although Claire is starting to do that too, but we know that that gives us a best return for, for new customers. And this is from my, my roles. Obviously everyone has their own 80, 20 activity, but I used to like for literally 10 years, I used to say to myself, 
have I written content today? If I have ticked the box, it's a good day. That's all I needed to do to make sure things were moving forward. But that wasn't always possible when I didn't have clarity on what I was doing next. I could, I could know what the high leverage activities were, but then I combined it with another concept called the theory of constraints. Not quite as popular, but you might know it if you've studied uh, lean manufacturing. So I read about the theory of constraints and I have a feeling those watching the video, we're getting a book <laughs> coming off the shelf right now there from Jay, but <laughs> yeah, that the goal. Yes. So I love the theory of constraints because I was like, okay, if I marry the theory of constraints with the 80, 20 rule. So the theory of constraints tells me, look at the system I'm building and what's the most constrained element of it. That's slowing everything else down. That's ultimately what the theory of constraints is. And then if I use the 80-20 rule to know what part of the system gives me the most leverage, I can go, okay, here's the weakest link that will be the biggest outcome. Work on that next. So if I don't have enough traffic, let's do traffic. If I don't have product, let's do product. If I don't have, if, if a launch is coming up, that's a deadline. That's the most important thing. And that's how I looked at everything over the last sort of 15 years. What's the weakest link in this business to get it to the next phase of development? And for that to happen, obviously, I have to understand the system I'm trying to build. And that's where, you know, education, experience, taking courses, things like that can help. But that's how, for me, traveling, like I can be in Japan knowing I want to go out there and spend really the most of my day exploring. But I will spend two hours in a cafe answering the few questions I have to answer from my team and doing that one constraint eliminating 80-20 task. And I call that two hours my sprint. It's like my the third concept I combine. It's, that one's from product, uh, programming and, and developing with engineers. So 80-20 rule, theory of constraints, all implemented in a sprint, that two hour a day. And that has moved things forward and, and that's what makes me feel content, too. If I don't kind of get that two hours, I start to feel like, OK, I know the machine's going to start working and, and I'm going to possibly feel less like I can't just be a tourist all day. I want to be creating and, and growing something. So that's kind of still how I live my life. Great people working with you and, and great systems that you're applying. Wow. I, I absolutely love that. You hit three of my uh, three of my favorite topics all, all right there. The Pareto principle or the 80-20 rule, the theory of constraints. And I held up a book for those that are on audio only. There's a book by a guy named Eliyahu Goldratt called The Gold. And it's actually one of my favorite books. It's all about bottlenecks and theory of constraints. And You should listen to the audio version of that, Jay, if you haven't. I have it's not. Like a Oh, it's it's a story rather than like you. you they have got sound effects and different voices of people. It's like a movie in a in a book. So okay, it's great. Well, now I know what I'm doing on our next vacation. <laughs> um, and then you and then you threw in some agile development in there, the sprints as, as well. So you, you've kind of hit on on all cylinders. And I just want to reiterate because you kind of circled back. We talked earlier about businesses about two things: it's building great products and being able to sell them. And when we talk about the eighty twenty rule, that's what the eighty should be. Uh, the eighty should be focused on, or one should be, the 20 should be focused on, on the 1%. Right. Exactly. On those two things. And then all the other stuff, like getting business cards and setting up your business and mm, your Instagram profile, your Instagram, and, exactly. Yeah. Social yeah. media, all that's the less important stuff. So yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. And I think that that last answer from you just kind of basically summed up like what differentiate successful entrepreneurs, especially lifestyle entrepreneurs from everybody else. So thank you for that. Okay. We, I could ask a hundred more questions, but we are 
Well, yes, but we, we, we are, we are running long on this. So if it's okay with you, I'd love to jump into the final segment of the show that we call the four more. And that's where we ask the same four questions that we ask all of our guests and then jump into the more part where you tell us a little bit more about where we can find it, about what you're doing and how we can connect with you. Sound good? No, no. Yes. That's good. Somebody was bound to say that. I'm just contrarian. So. Okay. Well, I am going to start with the first question. And that is, what was your very first or very worst job? And what lessons did you learn from it? Well, as I said, I had to start the interview. I've tried to avoid full-time employment. So I've never had a full-time job. I have had casual jobs. The worst one, I was packing uh, mobile phone accessories into plastic and cardboard containers over a summer break for $9 an hour. That was probably the worst job, but you know, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't forever, but that was definitely the worst. Great. Thank you. Okay. Here's my question. The second one is, what would you say is that one defining moment, if you had to identify one defining moment where you realized that you just had an entrepreneurial itch that had to be taken care of? Oh, I, I probably would say one defining moment. I feel like there was that reading Richard Branson's Losing My Virginity biography as a probably a 17-year-old or a 16-year-old or something like that. And I was like, this lifestyle and way of living seems so much more fun than waking up at 6 a.m. to an alarm clock to go make $20 an hour doing repetitive tasks and not really, you know, growing just to make enough money to pay a mortgage. You know, I could go on and on and on and then ask my boss when I'm allowed to have holidays. So, you know, Richard Branson, let's start multiple businesses. Let's make as much money as I need. You know, let's work with creative people and try and fix problems around the planet and get to meet celebrities and politicians and everything sounded so much better about entrepreneurship. So, but I really think, to be honest, you know, that was also pie in the sky. For me, it was like, I want to be able to move out of my mother's house, pay for the rent, have a car, and then be able to, you know, go traveling or sit at home and watch Star Trek for four hours that day while I cook my own meal. For that to be possible, there had to be some kind of income stream that was not based on a job. So I think those kind of lacking constraints as a young you know, teenager, that was the defining starting point for going after this. And then seeing people like Richard Branson show that it's possible at a grand scale, obviously in his case. So Awesome. Okay. Question three. And this is where I'm going to ask for your favorite book, but I am going to make it a little harder. I'm not going to let you mention any of the books we've <laughs> talked about, the four hour work week, uh, the goal, the e-myth. What's, what's a good book that, uh, that a lot of people might not know about that you really like? Okay. This is going to be totally left field, but I'm going to say the conversations with God series by Neil Donald Walsh. I don't know if, uh, like it's not I, entrepreneurship. I, I can it see. is not entrepreneurship, but that no, that's <laughs> great, and I and uh, I second it. Yes. Yeah, I'm not. I wasn't raised religious in any way, but uh, and I actually had an aversion to the word God in the title. But when I got it, I was like, this really helped with a lot of the negative side of being an entrepreneur, or feeling lost, not making enough money, not sure if my idea would work, not sure my place in the universe. 
um, comparing myself to others, uh, all the bigger emotional challenges that go with it. Cause there's a kind of more of a spiritual answer to some of that. And I think that you kind of got to marry that with the nuts and bolts practicality of chasing money basically. Right. So. Yep. I second it. And like you said, you do not need to be religious to appreciate the, the book. Excellent. Okay. Here is your fourth question. What is something along the way in your personal or professional life, which for you very much blend together that you have splurged on that was totally worth it? <laughs> um, okay. So this isn't, I don't serve as the right answer to the question, but I last year or actually two years ago, I went to Ukraine where my father's from for the first time ever. Uh, I wasn't ever planning on that, but just happened through a case of connections. And then because of that, I met someone there again through connections and an opportunity to build a solar plant in Ukraine surfaced. So I don't know if that's buying something from me, but in the case of fortuitous timing, I had gambled on cryptocurrency during the the, the rush of 2017 that was going on. So I had this lump of money that sure, I could buy more property with it or, you know, start another business. But I was like, this is in front of me. It's green energy. It's helping Ukraine. It does return money to me. It's it's a capital investment. It's physical real world business that I hadn't really done before. So I bought a solar plant, if that makes sense. We built a solar plant in Ukraine. So that that was that's where I can say I'm like a multidimensional entrepreneur now. <laughs> I, I think this is really cool splurge. Wow. Yeah, what are you going to say, Jay? It, it makes me realize we didn't dig in enough to all of your businesses. We didn't have time to talk about all of them, but it, there, there's so much more. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was the four questions. Now I want to get into the more part of the four more. And that's where you tell our listeners where they can find out more about your businesses, more about you, how they can connect with you. And you mentioned you have at least one online course. Feel free to, to plug it there as well. Yeah, well, I want to plug inbox done first because I think for a lot of people listening in, if, if they're drowning in email uh, and they've you know got a successful business, inboxdone.com would be the place to go just to check out what we do with, with helping with email. But for me uh, and all my coaching and teaching and my podcast and, and my articles, it's just yarrow.blog. Or as I've sort of said from the beginning, my name is kind of unique on the internet. So if you Google Y-A-R-O, I should be on the first page of results, Yarrow blog, Yarrow podcast, and yeah, access to my courses, but I'd rather people go through my free training first. So, you know, join a webinar, download a handout or a PDF and see if you like my, my style and my teaching. So yeah, yarrow.blog. Fantastic. Yarrow, thank you so much for joining us. This has been fantastic. And for anybody that wants more info or wants links to the things that we've talked about here, check out our show notes from this week. So thank you again so much. We really appreciate you being here and we wish you the best of luck. Thanks. You too, guys. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks. you. Awesome. Awesome show. As somebody that has worked, I guess my whole life, not my whole life, but at least the last decade or so to try and build lifestyle businesses that give us the freedom to focus on our family, to focus on traveling, to focus on doing what we want to be doing. That was really inspiring. And he gave me a whole lot of things to think about that I hadn't even thought about over the last 10 years of doing this myself. I agree. It was really great. And he had so many just great actionable tips and usable concepts. And I really, really like that one about the whole concept of sprinting for two hours a day. Cause it's true. You can build all these things, create all these things, but you don't just want to sit around and not contribute and not be productive. But by dedicating those two hours a day to really doing those things consistently that are going to be most beneficial for your business, you're really accomplishing the best of all worlds. Really yep. great stuff. 
Yep. And picking the right things to focus those two hours on the 80, 20 rule, focus on those, that 20% of stuff that's really going to make a difference in your business. Okay. We done here? We are so done today. It has been a fabulous week. I hope everybody has the fabulous rest of your week. She's Carol. I'm Jay. Go create a lifestyle business today. Enjoy your week, everybody. Rock on and go be awesome. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Have fun. Bye. Bye.